I'm going to read two sections from 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel this morning. We're in this series that we started a couple of weeks ago called Great Turnarounds, and we're looking at some of the great turnaround stories that come to us from the Old Testament and then eventually the New Testament as well. And this morning our theme is God and the Recovering King's Heart. I'll explain that a little bit more. But there are a couple of uh, snapshots that I want to read that all have to do with the life of King David of Israel. 1 Samuel 16, 7 says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And then in 2 Samuel chapter 11, we find this scene where King David is involved in a plot to cover his tracks. Then David said to him, Stay here one more day, and tomorrow I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. At David's invitation, he ate and drank with him, and David made him drunk. But in the evening, Uriah went out to sleep on his mat among his master's servants. He did not go home. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah. In it, he wrote, Put Uriah out in front where the fighting is fiercest. Then draw, withdraw from him so that he will be struck down and die. We're going to look at a very troubling case of the heart of David and the way that God dealt with David when David's heart had wandered far from God. Let's pray for a moment. Lord, thank you for the fact that you are God who reaches down into our world and that you care about people in the midst of all the brokenness of life as well as the joys of life. And we realize that sometimes we get it right and sometimes we get it very, very wrong. And even those that we have treasured as great models of faith at times have gotten things profoundly wrong. And we have too. Thank you for being a God of grace and mercy and repentance. Thank you for being a God who doesn't give up on your people, who knew from the start that we would bring a lot of brokenness into our world and that we would experience a lot of brokenness, some that we never caused, but that falls upon us because of the brokenness of others and the betrayal of others. Sometimes the words of Scripture, Lord, cut deeply. And so I pray that you would watch over any hearts here this morning that find that this message is close to home and that hurts and that you would bring healing and hope from it that you would bring the salve that only your spirit, your Holy Spirit, can bring into our lives. But we also ask that you would make us wise, so that we live well, that we learn not only from the triumphs of Scripture, but also from the downfalls of the people who've lived in the past and who've walked with you. And thank you for being a God who does not give up on your people, a God who is willing to embarrass yourself by the way that you lower yourself to where we live and who we are. And we thank you as we sang this morning and as Dave gave us instructions that you don't label us according to the great sins of our lives, even though they may mark us. You call us children of God. And so I ask that you would bless this message far beyond what I've prepared, far beyond what I know how to deliver. In Jesus' name, amen. We have a lot of varying ideas and concepts that we use very commonly in regard to the human heart. When someone is kind or generous, we say that they have a heart of 
goals. Yeah, you're right. When someone goes through a relational breakup, we say that they have a broken heart. When, when someone is a, a kind and innocent, sometimes we say that they have a pure heart. When someone easily shows their emotions, we say that they wear their heart on their sleeve. Friday Night Lights football motto, if you follow that show a number of years ago, was clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. Hank Williams sang about your cheating heart. The Beatles sang about the lonely hearts club band. And the very lovable Tony Bennett sang for years and years that he left his heart in San Francisco. Yeah. This morning we're going to focus on the heart of King David, a man who started out with a heart after God's own heart. That's what the scriptures say. And whose heart later on led him into dark days and then who pleaded with God to restore to him a clean heart. A few weeks ago we began this series that we're calling Great Turnarounds, how God uses second chance people. And in this series, we're learning about the recovery work that God does within his people. So we looked at Moses as a recovering murderer who God nonetheless meets at that burning bush and says, you're exactly the person that I want to use. You haven't been ready for the past 40 years, but now when you're 80, you're finally ready for me to use you. And then last week, we looked at Naomi and Ruth and these two recovering widows who are marching back into the land of Israel and to the home of Bethlehem where Naomi had left, penniless and with her husband gone and two sons-in-law who have died and how God blessed them radically when they put themselves back on the trail to doing things God's way. And this morning we're going to focus on the turnaround in the life of King David. So our topic this morning is God and the Recovering King's Heart. Welcome to North River Church today. I am so glad to see so many here at our Pembroke campus, and I want to extend an equally warm welcome to all of you who are, who are watching online today. Thank you for making the effort to participate with us as we continue to worship and learn together. Here's our vision statement that pictures who we are becoming as a people group, as a church community. People being forever changed by God's love and daily changing the South Shore and beyond for Jesus. How do we do that? One act of love, one act of kindness, one act of truth at a time. Let me talk to those of you who are online this morning. There are some simple ways that you can connect to us. Actually, some of this applies to you who are in the room as well. If you're new and you just want to start the conversation, get out your phone and text the word hello to this number, 781-227-8765. That will end up on my phone. We'll start a, a little bit of a conversation. Or you can go to our website, northriverchurch.org. Look for, look for the I'm New button up at the top, and that will drop down into a connection card that you can fill out online. Or you can go over to the welcome desk and you can fill out a connection card. Uh, if you can't do any of that, you're not online, but you have email, send me a note, paul at northriverchurch.org. We'd love to know that you're out there. We'd love to know what God is teaching you and what you're learning through all of this process. And we'd love to hear from you. For those of you who are online, you can do one of the fastest things to spread how people connect with North River. Invite a friend to watch. Whether you know it or not, there are a whole lot of people who are in the room today who started by watching us online two years ago. And after checking us out for a month or two months or a half a year or a year, they finally decided it was time to come and experience this together. And that is the fastest way to take advantage of the times that we live in and to allow people to safely check us out. 
Here's the question that we are shooting for today. What can we learn from the way that God deals with an unfaithful heart? There's a problem with King David whenever we read about King David. So let's tackle right up the top here the problem with David. When we first encounter David in the book of 1 Samuel, Samuel was the prophet who was leading Israel at that time, we find that David was chosen and anointed as the Lord was drawn to his heart. Samuel the prophet had stated, the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. Now God was in the process of moving away from King Saul because of Saul's rejection of God's word. And then the Lord sent Samuel to Bethlehem to the home of a man named Jesse who had eight sons. Seven of them were paraded before Samuel and Samuel was ready to anoint one of them as the future king. And first comes Eliab, who is the oldest and the tallest in the family. And he walks before him, and the Lord whispers to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Have you ever, ever noticed that about our society? People look at all the external things, the way that you look on the outside. And in our society, that gets glorified in a whole lot of ways. But God looks at the heart. He wants to know what's going on inside of us. He wants to know who we really are in terms of our character and our heart and our mind. Seven of those sons walked by Samuel that day, and the Lord didn't choose any. And when that happened, Samuel was a little confused, and he says to Jesse, do you have any more sons? I mean, how many people have seven sons anyway? Do you have any more? He said, well, yeah, there's the youngest of them. He's the, the, the runt of the litter. He's up in the hills watching the sheep. Samuel says, send for him. And when David, the youngest of the eight boys, walks in front of him despite his age, God whispers to Samuel and lets him know this is the one. Anoint him as the future king. God was drawn to David's heart. It's such a beautiful picture. Yet, an older, powerful David committed adultery with his friend's wife, connived to murder him, and covered it up. We read these words in 2 Samuel chapter 11, just one verse, verse 14. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab. Joab was the commander of David's army, and he sent it with Uriah. In it, he wrote, put Uriah out in front where the fighting is fiercest, then withdraw from him so he will be struck down and die. Can you imagine? Here's this David who started off with such a heart that God was drawn to his heart, that he anoints him as the future king, that he elevates him. And then David does something like this. It's so deliberate, so heinous. And then we discover that Uriah isn't just any old servant. He's one of the mighty men who are the fiercest soldiers in David's army, who would have done anything, who would have given their own lives for David. And this is the guy that David sets up to die. How do we process something like this? Now, here's the problem for us. We are told to love the Lord with all of our heart, with all of our soul and mind and strength. Yet God also tells us in the Old Testament in Jeremiah, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? So Proverbs chapter 4 adds this warning. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Matters of the heart are not so simple. The heart that you have, not the heart that's beating and pumping blood, but the, the heart that's at the center of your being, the, the metaphorical heart, is a tricky thing. 
Sometimes following your heart can get you into a lot of trouble if we don't guard our hearts and think about how we walk before the Lord with pure hearts. So what can we learn from the way that God deals with David and his unfaithful heart? So our topic this morning is God and the recovering king's heart. I want to thank our staff this morning. We were wrestling with what's the right title for this message and how do we focus on this? Do we focus on the fact that David's an adulterer? Do, is this uh, God and the recovering adulterer? But you know, we would have fallen into the very trap that Dave Bailey talked about this morning in the midst of that song. Because that's not where the scriptures leave him. It's there. It's in plain view. Is it David the murderer? Well, we looked at Moses the murderer a couple of weeks ago. And we realized the issue is David's heart. And what God ended up doing was restoring David's heart. I, I want to give you hope as you listen to the rest of this message that no matter how far you feel from God, no matter what you have ever done, God wants your heart and God is capable of purifying and tenderizing the human heart. So let's, let's look at some of the things that we learn here about King David. First, notice how David got to this point. Verse 1 of 2 Samuel chapter 11 says, In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent out Joab with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. But David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. David broke from his normal pattern says when kings go off to war, it may not have meant that every year they literally start fights and they go to war, but without fences and formal borders that we have today and maps that spell all of this out, there was continual conflict between Israel and the nations around them over territory. So when the spring thaw would come, the armies went out to patrol the borderlands and conflict would naturally arise. But this particular year, after winning so many battles, David had defeated all of his enemies by this point, and he decided to stay at home. One night, while he's at home, and the armies are off patrolling the borders, he was walking around on the roof of the palace in Jerusalem. Some people read this and immediately suggest that Bathsheba, who he saw bathing on her porch, was doing something wrong and that she entrapped him. Not so fast. Without indoor plumbing, her behavior was probably quite normal for the time, and it was nighttime. The odd thing was that David was walking around on the roof of the palace, one of the tallest buildings in all Jerusalem, looking down on his subjects, probably being a peeping Tom at that moment. And he spied Bathsheba. David could have ended this right there. He could have looked away and gone in, but he escalated things by sending for her. Several years ago, I had lunch with Dr. Haddon Robinson. Uh, Dr. Robinson was the president of Denver Seminary when I went there years ago, and he was teaching up at Gordon-Conwell Seminary on the North Shore at the time. And over lunch, he told me about a talk that he had given to a men's group about David. And he had used alliteration in that talk. More than 20 years later, that talk is still emblazoned in my memory. So using the, the alliteration of a number of A words, he described how David got off track. First, there was his sense of accomplishment for David, that he was the most famous king and warrior of his time. He defeated all of his enemies around him. That sense of accomplishment led, led to a place of arrival. That's what we read about here in 2 Samuel 11:1, 1, that he became so successful that he no longer saw the need to lead his men or to go out with them. We have other guys who can fight battles for me, he thought. As that continued on, there was a sense of alienation. 
David was no longer in the company of the men that he normally hung around with and fought with and, and sometimes spent the night under the stars with. And it alienated him from those who would typically speak into his life with the warning words that at times he needed. The longer that went on, it led to a sense of adventurism. No longer fighting the battles that he was used to fighting, he began to seek out a different kind of mission or a different kind of chase. And so he sent a servant to find out who this woman was, and the report came back that this was the wife of Uriah, one of his mighty men, and David said, send for her and bring her here anyway. And of course that led to adultery. With all the men out of town, he powered up and he took his friend's wife. It is helpful to realize that David did not get caught in a momentary mistake. And rarely are the great falls of our lives simply momentary mistakes. He lost focus. He stopped following the patterns that had made him successful. And it seems that this combination of power and success had changed him. And little by little, he slipped down a path that led to an eventual conclusion. But he could have cut it off at any point earlier in that process. Second, the king before David was Saul, who had been rejected by the Lord, and as a teenager, David had been appointed and then anointed as the future king. What is the main difference between David and Saul? The second observation we want to land on is right there. We can see it in one verse, 2 Samuel 11, verse 13, or um, actually it's verse 12, uh, chapter 12, verse 13. Then David said to Nathan, Nathan was the prophet who confronted him, I have sinned against the Lord. Saul was Israel's first king and the Lord rejected him for disobedience. Twice he disobeyed direct commands from God that were given through Samuel the prophet. I'm not going to go into the details of what they were right now for sake of time, but when he was confronted, he made excuses and he blamed his actions and his behaviors on his men. David's great sin was horrendous. Adultery followed by a cover-up when Bathsheba became pregnant, ultimately leading to a murder. At first, he invited Uriah home from the battle after finding that Bathsheba was pregnant. His hope was that Uriah would go home, sleep with his wife, and later on, when it became public that she was pregnant, everyone would assume it was Uriah's child. But on two successive nights, after eating and drinking with David, and we're told that David even got him drunk, Uriah refused to sleep in his own bed while his men were in the field, so he slept on a mat outside the palace with the king's servants. He was such a dedicated servant of David. Finally, when the cover-up plan failed, he resorted to planning to have Uriah killed in battle. He asked Uriah himself to carry the note for the king to Joab, the commander of the army, and the note instructed him to put Uriah up front against this city that they were attacking. And then when Uriah was up front and the battle was heavy, to withdraw so that Uriah would be killed. Can you imagine David doing this? And David thought he'd gotten away with his plan. After Bathsheba mourned for a while over the death of her husband, David took her as his wife. I should say as another of his wives. He didn't need that, but he just wanted more. But we're told that the Lord had seen all this and was displeased. And he sent Nathan the prophet to confront David. He did it in a very creative fashion. But when David was confronted, different from the way that Saul responded when he was confronted, he immediately confessed and repented 
and acknowledged that he had sinned before the Lord. Third discovery. God's grace did not exempt him from consequences. God forgave David, but some of the consequences remained. So Nathan says to David on behalf of the Lord, Now therefore the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. This is what the Lord says. Out of your own household I am going to bring calamity on you. Because of his repentance, his immediate repentance, the Lord spared David. And he tells him that that he forgives him, but that there are natural consequences that would now fall upon his family. And these are troubling. We don't know. Did the Lord do something specifically to cause these things? Or is he saying, this is the natural fallout of what you've brought into your own family and the example that, that you have led with. So the child that Bathsheba was carrying would not live. David mourned over this. David's sons would turn violent. One of his sons, Amnon, raped his half-sister. And then another son, Absalom, killed Amnon because of that. And then Absalom conspired to steal the throne from David, and he openly slept with David's concubines. Another son, Adonijah, later in David's life, conspired to make himself king when David was in his final days. I could almost, in the back of my head, Here, as we were singing this morning, that new song that Dave taught us, hearing David cry out, Jesus for my family. So many of us have done that. We've gotten to that point where we think about the loved ones that we have who are not walking with God or who do not know Jesus or who have been raised in the grace of God but have walked away from it. And that cry goes up from our hearts, We want to speak Jesus into our family that they would only know the grace of God, that they would only know how God can turn things around and begin to make sense out of life again. At one point, David and his executive cabinet had to flee Jerusalem in shame because his son had overtaken Jerusalem. And David's commanders had to hunt down and then execute Absalom. All of this occurred as consequences of the darkness that David put in motion. Here's the big idea for this morning. God leads us to recovery by cleansing the heart as we turn from our sin and cry out for his mercy. God leads us to a new kind of recovery. He cleanses the heart as we turn from our sin and cry out for his mercy. So here's one of the great discoveries of David in his brokenness. He shows us the path to true repentance. Despite all these things that we just talked about, and I gave a brief report of them. God was not through with using and blessing King David. Another son from David and Bathsheba, Solomon, was eventually allowed to follow David as king of Israel. And David was allowed to plan and then finance the building of the temple. God didn't let him build the temple. He said, David, you're a man with blood on your hands. I don't want you to build my temple. But David envisioned it. He planned it. He raised the money for it. He was the first to give for it. And Solomon then built that temple. But David illustrates for us what true repentance is. We sometimes wrestle with this. True repentance is not simply saying, I'm sorry that I get caught. This is bad. True repentance is not saying, I'm sorry that you took it that way, as if to say it's your problem, not mine. I didn't intend it that way. True repentance 
literally comes from the root word of the Greek word that's behind that that speaks of a change of mind that leads to a change of direction that in turn leads to good fruit in our lives. This is the great turnaround in David's life. I'd like for you to participate with me. We're going to flash up on the screen some of the words from Psalm 51. Can we do that now? Thank you. And uh, this is the first half of Psalm 51, but it's probably the most beautiful expression of repentance that has ever been written in the history of the world. Would you read this with me? Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgression and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. David knew something. David knew that only the Lord can clean up the human heart. Only the Lord can change the software of the heart. He uses a number of words in here that talk about the complexity of our sins. Sometimes they're transgressions, which means when we, we cross over a boundary, a clearly written law, and we deliberately cross over that anyway. Sometimes he talks about our iniquities, which are the impurities of our lives. And he uses other words to, to describe this. But he also uses words of great hope. When it says, cleanse me with hyssop, it's a reference to the way that the high priest had to go through a baptism of sorts and be washed on the Day of Atonement before he could stand and, and offer a sacrifice for the sins of people. And they would use this hyssop, which was a plant, and they would, they would have a ceremonial washing of the high priest. And so David is saying, Lord, do the same thing for me. Cleanse me with hyssop, hyssop in, in a holy, purifying way. And he says, wash me and I will be whiter than snow. He has this hope, despite what he knows about his behavior, about his betrayals, that God can make us as white as snow on the inside, meaning all impurities are washed away. Look what he says in verse 10. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore, there's that word, restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. In our planning session earlier this week, I was telling our, our staff about where I was headed with this message. And they said, you know what? When you do this, when you read this from Psalm 51, there's a lot of thoughts that are going to go through our minds, but let's create a moment 
or anybody who needs to, can quietly call out to God to do that inner work inside of us. God, we don't want to just do church when we get here. We want to open up our minds and our hearts and our lives that you can do business with us. And we know that your ultimate goal is set on transformation. You want to make us like Jesus. Where the individuality of who each of us is remains intact. With our gifts and our knowledge and our personalities and our quirks. But where you impart the character and the heart and mind of Jesus. I ask that you would further your work in us. That you would continue to give us clean hearts that are set free to serve you. Not held down by the past but striving into a far better future. I ask that you would walk with us this week. Bless the five who are getting baptized this afternoon. Allow them to have a wonderful experience as they pledge to you that they want to be followers of Jesus for the rest of their days. And for each of us, you know the tender spots in our lives. Continue to bring healing and hope. Thank you for the example of David that you care about the heart. And when we respond to you in right ways, you alone have the ability, despite consequences, to heal the human heart and to set us on a new trajectory. Lord, do all of that in our midst. In Jesus' name.